John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. And uh, you guys already know what I'm talking about, so I'm not going to spring that on you in a surprise. But um, before we get started, I wanted to hear from you. Um, and here's what I'm looking for is, uh, is this. I, I, need, I need a shepherd. I, I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd because I needed, uh, I needed Jesus to come and find me when I was lost. And I still need Jesus to be my shepherd because I still need Jesus to bring me back when I wonder. Um, how about you? You need a shepherd? Yeah, what, what do you need? What do you need Jesus to do that's uh, shepherdly, if I can use that term? What do you need from him? Yes, yeah, keeps us from falling into the pitfalls. Yep, that's wonderful. What else? To guide us along the path. Yes, indeed. What else? How do you need the Lord to shepherd you? Shelters us. Shelters us. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we need his healing, don't we? We need him to bind us up. What else? How else do you need the Lord to shepherd you? Yeah, yeah. A little tapping by the rod, right? <laughs> I, need, I need some of that tapping myself. Sometimes I need it harder on my head, but I'm a little thick-headed sometimes. Uh, yeah, what else? How else do you need the Lord to shepherd you? Yes, sir. The security of his presence. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's beautiful. Need the security of his presence. What else? Anyone? How else do you need the Lord to shepherd you? Yeah, <laughs> yes, helps to know that someone else is in charge. Yeah, that's great. To herd herd you? Guard you. I'm sorry, yes. Yes, to guard you, yeah, to protect you. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we have, there's several places in the scriptures, there's, there's about three pretty major places where it talks about what a shepherd does, and I, we won't go through them today, I've been through them a few times up here, but um, you know, one of the things that the Lord does is he provides for us too, which we didn't talk about very much, but he provides for us in terms of what we need physically, but also, you know, in Psalm 23 in particular, it says he provides a place of peace for me, right? He restores me there. I, I need that restoration. I need him to restore. I need him to fix uh, my soul. I need him to bring peace into my chaotic life um, and over and over again. Um, and, and I, you know, I want to do this kind of exercise with you because in the class that you guys were so, uh, so uh, kind to put me through in biblical counseling, one of the things that I, that I realized is that um, the things that the, this just brilliant professor is teaching is that um, we need to spend a lot more time meditating than we do. Um, and, and part of that is this very kind of thing, this very exercise that I'm doing with you guys um, is needs to be our practice every morning and throughout the day is is that you open the passage you see something profound you, you need to spend some time meditating on it you know you, you, we're going to read here about how Jesus says I am the good shepherd and we need to we need to spend the time Lord show me how you're my shepherd show me how this works and you know what we could spend five minutes this morning and you can spend the rest of your life just discovering and contemplating uh, just the depth of this the depth of this truth that He is our shepherd He's our our leader. He's our guide. He's our protector. 
He's present with us. All these things that you mentioned, he, uh, he leads us, um, is just beautiful and brilliant and, and, and much for us to, to contemplate. I was, uh, I was reading a little bit, um, oh, I can't remember what that was in, but anyway, Jonathan Edwards was talking about the necessity. Why, why is it that God's created eternity? Why, why is there going to be an eternity and why are we going to be there for it? And one of the things that Jonathan Edwards wrote was basically, it's just so that we can spend the rest of all of eternity just trying to grasp the glory and the beauty of God. Just for, for all of the rest of eternity, we're just going to go up as high as we can and we'll never be able to measure the height of his love and we'll go as deep as we can and we'll never fully know the depth of his love and, and we'll measure out the length and the width, but we'll never fully know all of it as far as we can go. There's always more. It is, he is always more magnificent, always more beautiful, always, always more good, if I can use that term, always more good than we could ever imagine. Amen? And somehow, for some reason, even though... Um, he keeps the universe in check. He runs it all, not just what we see, but in the spiritual realm as well. But for some reason, he wants to shepherd you. That's a beautiful, amazing thought, isn't it? God of the universe wants to be your shepherd, your leader, your protector, your defender. That is an incredible thing. John chapter 10 now, if you would, please. We're going to read in John chapter 10 about Jesus making these statements in, uh, in John 10. So, uh, but I wanted to remind you guys, you, you guys take, these t- take this, and when you get up and you read in your devotions in the morning, don't just check the box and say, okay, I've read it, and go on. Spend as much time reading and as you do contemplating as you do praying, and, and make this a more meaningful time, because it's not enough to have the Scriptures just in your head, is it? The Pharisees are a perfect example of that, right? They knew the, the listen, the, the, any one of the Pharisees know, knew the Scriptures better than I do, I guarantee you, but... It wasn't in their hearts. It never went any deeper than that. It never transformed. They never let it transform them or change them. I need change, and it's not just in my head. I need the transformation of my mind, of course, but I need it in my heart. I need it to change my affections, to change my devotion, the things that I'm devoted to. And you can only do that if you're really spending quality time meditating and taking this in and letting it, let it really work you over in your mind. So anyway, just, just, you know, just do that. That'd be great. Okay, John chapter 10, we're going to read just a bit, little bit. Let's read the first six verses and we'll talk a little bit about them. Jesus talking this basically this whole time almost uh, in, in what we're going to read this morning through about verse 21. So John chapter 10, verse, beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Let's pause there for just a minute. Here's one of Jesus's, this is kind of a, uh, this isn't a parable, this is a, I can't remember what this figure of speech is called, but anyway, figure of speech, how about that? Um, Where you have sheep, who are the sheep? We are, you're brilliant, yes, okay, and who is the shepherd? We're going to read here in just a minute. Jesus is the shepherd, and he's going to talk over and over again about a thief and a robber in in these passages. Who is the thief and the robber? Ah, that's a very good question, don't answer. Um, Very good question. Jesus doesn't say specifically, but overall, generally speaking, when Jesus is saying something bad, he's generally referring to whom in the New Testament? Yeah, or, and maybe the, yeah, the, the spirits of Satan and the deception of him and maybe also the Pharisees and chief priests, maybe, too. He's going to talk about false prophets, really, too, here. So anyway, um, anyway, so yes, everything that is against contrary to God, being it, yes, Satan, who he's certainly talking about here, and also... Uh, some of the false prophets he'd be talking about as hirelings here in just a moment. But anyway, verse 2. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I love that passage. Let me tell you just a little bit about that. Um, sheep were kept in pens, much like often today sheep are kept in pens. Why are they kept in pens? So that they could be protected, so they wouldn't wander off. Sheep are kind of stupid, right? Um, so they wouldn't wander off, so they would kept pinned up over the night or, or when they weren't put out to, shepherd, to, to pasture, rather. But when they were let out of the pens, when they were let out of the pens, they would put it, be put in a pasture. Well, oftentimes, different people would have their flocks out in the same pasture. How in the world would you get all those sheep separated and put back in their pens? Everybody know who, who had what sheep at night? The sheep knew their shepherd's voice. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? So when the shepherd would call out them, to them when it, was tw- when it was twilight, when it was time for them to go back and be penned up over the night so that they would pre- be protected, the shepherd would call out to them, and he would yell for them, he, and he would call them and woo them and call them out, and they would come out of the pasture, they would be separated, notice the, uh, the kind of the figure of speech here, they would be separated from the rest of the flock, and their flock, the shepherd's flock, would be gathered into the pen there in safety and protection for the night. Cool, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Uh, so anyway, that's what, what he said. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Um, when he has brought out all his own, he goes out ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Okay, what does this mean to you and me? I, I told you what it means to sheep, right? A sheep hears his shepherd's voice. When another shepherd would call from a different flock, that flock wouldn't follow, right? The, the, the flock of another shepherd wouldn't follow because they don't know his voice. They know the voice of their shepherd. Here's kind of the cool thing uh, is this, is that when the Lord Jesus calls you and you respond, that's evidence that you're one of his sheep. Amen? So praise the Lord. Thank God. I think I've responded. You know, <laughs> I, I think I have. I, I, think, I think maybe I've heard his voice. I think I maybe I've heard him call me, and, and I believe I am part of his flock. One of the really interesting things here that Jesus is really describing, and I, I can't remember another time where he's doing this. I'm sure it's in the New Testament, in, in the gospel somewhere, but Jesus is really talking about creating a brand new community that hasn't existed before in these words that he's saying. And think about this for just a minute. You, you know, the, the Jews had, you know, were Jews, the Samaritans were kind of, they were called half-breeds very, very um, negatively, uh, but uh, because they were part Jews, but also part of other nationalities. Um, and then you had the Gentiles that were a group. But Jesus is saying here, I'm going to pull a flock of my own. Uh, and they're going to be, I'm going to call them out and they're going to be my people. And it would be obvious here, by the time we finish here today, there are going to be some people that won't be part of his flock. This is going to be a brand new community, a brand new group of people. And we call that group of people today what? Yeah, the Christians or the church, right? Yeah, these are the people for whom Jesus would, you know, we're going to read here in just a minute, lay down his life. But Jesus is really talking here about having his own people. Well, you, you know, no matter, no wonder he was always making the Pharisees mad because here he is talking and claiming again, I'm just going to call some people for myself. They're going to be mine, but I'll have my own flock. Um, anyway, so he's up to, oh, but, but uh, another couple of things here is that, um, uh, no, 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 we'll catch that the next time it comes around. Some of this kind of repeats a little bit later, so I'll catch it in a minute. Verse 7, uh, we didn't catch that, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. That's always very comforting to me. Is it comforting to you? <laughs> Listen, even the guys that were there didn't know what he was saying sometimes. And of course, uh, the, 
the, after the resurrection and Jesus came and explained everything, made it much more clear for them, I'm sure, but, but it's always reassuring to me to, to know that even the guys that were there didn't always get it. Okay, therefore Jesus said again, so don't be discouraged, you know? Don't be discouraged when you're reading the scriptures and you don't understand them. Come back to it, ask somebody about it sometime, but don't stop. Just, you know, I was uh, reading, there was a guy named Soren Kierkegaard who wrote a, uh, a, a, an essay, really, and he was talking about reading and understanding the Word of God. He said, if you received a love letter from your loved one and, and you were separated from them, and you, but you wanted to hear from them and you wanted to know what they were doing, if you got to some part that you didn't understand, what would you do? Would you just put the letter down and walk off? Like, well, I didn't understand that part. I'm done. No, no, no. He said, he said you would... You would get down, you would get dictionaries, you would get books to try to help you understand it or comprehend it, but you would never let go of that letter from your loved one. You would never let your lover's letter go away just because you didn't understand a part. You would never give up, never give up in reading the word. Amen. Okay. Uh, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. So here Jesus is saying, I am the gate for the sheep. It also says door in some translations, right? All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Uh, Let's stop there for just a minute because it's going to kind of hit a crescendo here. Uh, Really quickly, so Jesus is going to talk about himself being a shepherd, but now he's kind of changed metaphors and he's in the middle of of his um, sermon here. And he says, I am the gate. Well, what's the gate? The gate is the gate at the sheep pen that lets them out, opens up into the pastures. And he says, I am the gate and I am the way by which the sheep go out into pasture, and he's basically saying here once again, and he'll, he'll clear it up here in about uh, four chapters in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father unless they come through me. I know I paraphrase that. Uh, no one can come to the Father except through me. Um, and so uh, Jesus here says, I am the gate. Notice here he says, I am not a gate. I am the gate. If you were to enter into eternal life, there is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. And he's making that claim here, certainly. I am the gate. If you're going to be saved, then it's going to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but everyone who, who enters through him will be saved. Amen? And don't you love that? He will come in and go out and find pasture. Okay, then here we go. The thief, we hear the thief for the robber again. The thief comes only to steal, kill, steal, kill and destroy so let's pause there for just a minute. What he's saying is there is that the, 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 the thief, the robber comes, and they have their own agenda. They have their own thing, and it's for themselves. Now, he's probably, in a large sense, he is talking about Satan, but he's also talking about people who would come to the, to the flock and try to take or steal, kill, or destroy from the flock for their own gain. And he, and he says here in a little bit before that, he says, everyone who's come to me has been false. I am the true one. I'm the one who is here for the flock. This is an amazing thing about God is he is for us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. Um, uh, since ancient of time, I'm going to have to read it. Look, I was just writing on it yesterday. It's my vitamin B12, I was told. It's really supposed to be good. When I went to Walmart yesterday, but we couldn't remember to pick it up. Since ancient times... Since ancient times, no one... Yeah, Carl, where were you, buddy? Come, you're supposed to slap. Okay. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Is there any God that you know of? Is there any religion whose the God works on behalf of the people instead of people working on behalf of their God? 
Christianity is unique in this. He says, all the other prophets were out for their own gain, but I'm the true shepherd. I'm the real one because I do this for you. And that's how we can recognize who, who is our true shepherd, who is the real one, because he does this for us and for our behalf. Uh, who has ever known, who has ever seen a God like ours who works on behalf of those who wait for him? That's an amazing, beautiful thing about our God. And in the end of verse 10, you know it, you've heard it. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Okay, this is, boy, this is an incredible discussion we can have for the rest of our time here together. But in John, you, you guys remember, you've been reading it or you finished reading it. In John, life and eternal life is a huge part. It's a big, huge theme. It starts out in the very first, like verse 4, we're going to read here in just a minute, of John's gospel. He talks about life and he talks about Jesus had life and he's had it all along, and he's always existed. And that theme is just driven home in John like none of, like none of the other Gospels. And, but it, the incredible thing is, is it not that Jesus has always existed, but he says that, and that anyone who would come and believe in me, anyone who will come and follow me, I will give them my life so that we can live eternally. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thought. That, you know, Christianity is different from any other religion is this, is because it's based on the life of God. It's not based on the life of the follower, right? It's not because of what I've done. It's not because of what I've done in my work. It's not because I've done religious acts. It's all based on the life of God and Him imputing that life or giving that life to us uh, as a reward for following the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 4, uh, this is in the part where it's talking about in the beginning was the Word, where the Word was with God, the Word was God, etc., etc. But anyway, John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In Him was life. Isn't that profound? Just that statement. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. There's tied together in the Psalms and other places too where life and light go together. But that, that life was the light of men. It gave men a, a, an understanding, a revelation of who he was, of about what the truth is, about where to find life. That all happened and occurred through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is life. It existed in him and he shares it to us. Um, here's something else that I want to spend just a little bit of time on. What in the world is eternal life? Listen, if you could explain that to me today, we'll, we'll just give you your honorary PhD. Um, this is hard to tackle. This is, a, this is an incredibly difficult topic. Eternal life, and, and I know what you think, I'm, I know what I've thought for many years, is that eternal life means to live forever. That's part, that, that's a small part, but it's actually much bigger than that. It's all of the things that we gain in the life through our union with Christ that comes through faith. That's right. So all of these things, like knowing God is a part of eternal life. Living forever is a part of eternal life. But let me go on. Let me, uh, let, me, uh, let me chase this for just a little bit. It's not just eternal life, but it's also the new life that Paul talks about in, 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 uh, in 
Corinthians. It is the new creation that Paul writes about in life. It's, it's, a, it's that restored relationship that you and I enjoy. That's part of this eternal life that we got. And it's, it's life that's free from condemnation that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8. We no longer live under the weight and the guilt and the shame of our sin anymore. That is part of the new life. It's life in the, the righteousness of Jesus that, that he lived, that, that his righteousness is imputed upon us, and no longer are we not innocent, but we're proclaimed righteous before God because of the life of Jesus Christ. It's life that's lived out in the favor of God, knowing that we will, we will never fall under his heavy hand of judgment, but knowing we will always, he will always look at us and say, you are always and you always will be my beloved son and my beloved daughter, because when I look at you, I see the life of Jesus Christ because he's given it to you. It's life that we have right now that's very slowly and very painfully being restored, where we're being restored to the image of our creator. And even though we'll never get it to it in this life, we will at the resurrection. Amen. Um, it's life forever in the presence of our creator is eternal life. It's life uh, that one day will be, f- will be fully his. And, and the struggle that you have with sin and these, these idolatry, these hindrances of idolatry that we all have in our hearts will be completely freed from one day and, and, and will be completely his one day will be fully restored to him and, and all that was lost in the fall in, 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 uh, in, in our losing our image of God will all be done with and he'll completely restore us. Well, he will have a people that he'll call my own, my sons, my daughters. It is like Clay said, it is fully knowing God, which is going to be really, really good. That's eternal life. It's all those things and a hundred thousand more. And Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's just some of what, it's just the tip of the iceberg on what he's, think, what he's talking about. What are you going to do with all that that I just gave you? Yeah, thank you, Clay. Somebody's listening. Uh, yeah, meditate on this. Just, you know, ask the Lord tomorrow. Lord, just start showing me, what does it mean that I have this new life in you? Um, and then you can spend the next 80 years of your life contemplating that uh, because it's just that that profound, just really that beautiful. Um, and Jesus just gives it to us as a gift for, for having faith in him. Just amazing. Okay, uh, the thief steals, kills, and destroys, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Do you know this full life? You know, part of our problem, we get so caught up in this life, we forget we have the full one, <laughs> right? You don't appreciate it if you don't spend time really thinking about it and meditating on it about its grandeur and its glory. You know, don't you wonder about people who live in other places besides the Texas Panhandle? I mean, we get glorious sunrises and sunsets, but that's it. I mean, really, that's about all, right? (laughs) And great people. Yes, and wind, if you enjoy the wind. Yes, yes, you can fly a kite almost every day here, right? Listen, we went to, uh, Brennan and I and the, took the kids over the summer and went to San Diego. The weather's like 72 degrees there year-round. Uh, it, it makes you wonder a little bit, do people know how good they have it here? <laughs> do people understand there's always this kind of just this really comfortable breeze coming up off the Pacific? I, I'm, I imagine at some point they're like, well, you know, 72 again. Eh, I wish we had some seasons. I, I, I bet they do. Not knowing how good they have, but you and I can be the same way. You know, we could be living in paradise and grumbling about this stupid stuff, right? It's just our nature as humans, you know. Um, it, it just is. But if you don't spend time really thinking about what the Lord God has done, it won't mean very much to you. But let me tell you, if you spend some time, even a little bit of time, thinking about what the Lord God has done for you, 
it'll mean more, and it'll make you want to do it more. It'll make you want to spend more time in it. It's like, uh, you know, it's like you go to a theme park, uh, uh, Six Flags or something, and, and uh, you know, you can go there and just eat popcorn, but, you know, you might as well just enjoy the rides while you're there too. You know what I'm saying? You can buy the $10 popcorn if you want, but, you know, get on the Texas Giant. Get on the, the I don't even know, I'm not even going to try pretend like I know any of those rides. Okay, uh, in John chapter 10, verse 11, we've got to get through this here. Here he finally says that I am the good shepherd. Let me pause there for just a second. Ah, no, we didn't get very far, did we? In John, in, let me tell you, this is uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 23. Jason's going to bring this up for us. Um, this is um, where, where God is making a promise through Ezekiel, through his prophet Ezekiel, to send a shepherd. He says, I'm going to send one of my own. I'm going to send my own shepherd to shepherd my people. He says, I will place another over them, one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. David is referred to so many times in some of the prophecies about Jesus that he would be like David. In other words, he would be, David was like an archetype of the, of the shepherd king. You remember David was literally a shepherd and then literally the king, right? Uh, and he would, be, he, he would be an archetype of what was coming in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I will send my David to shepherd my people. 600 years later, the earth waited, Jews waited for the time and the day that, that God would establish this shepherd who would come again. And all of creation waited for this day when Jesus Christ showed up and he proclaimed to everyone, I am the good shepherd. 600 years later, it finally happened. The good shepherd had come to shepherd God's people and to tend to them and to care for them. 600 years later, God, true to his promise, never as fast as we want, but uh, true to his promise and sent the Lord Jesus Christ all in his time. Okay, not only is a good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Listen, it was very, it was, uh, it was, it would not be uncommon for a shepherd in those days to, to risk his life for his sheep. I, from what I read, it would be uncommon for a shepherd to die uh, in protecting his sheep, but Jesus says specifically about himself, I will lay down my life for my sheep. A couple of things about that. One is Jesus over and over and over again, you're reading it a lot in John. He's predicting his death over and over and over again. We're going to get to that in a little bit more, in a little bit, but who does he do it for? He willingly lays down his life for you and me. And uh, we know from the scriptures that this was the greatest demonstration of love. Amen the guilty or the innocent one sacrificed for the guilty, this great exchange uh, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I willingly, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the sheep, uh, attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Probably talking about the rulers of Israel, probably talking about some of the old ancient rulers of the Old Testament, and then also obviously the, the Pharisees and the uh, chief priests of the day. They run away because, what? because why? They don't care about the sheep. What does that say about Jesus? Cares deeply for the sheep, willingly lays down his life. I am the good shepherd in verse 14. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. One of their names, Calvary Baptist Church. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Who's he talking about there? Who are these sheep in another pen? 
we Gentiles, yes, Jesus saying, I'm going to bring another flock. And here for the first time ever in history, um, Jesus is talking about a united community, one flock that would include Gentiles and Jews alike. What a beautiful thing. And Jesus talked about this new community that he would create that would be his flock in future days known as the church. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is the only man in history that says, I still have power when I'm dead. I still have ability when I'm a dead man. I lay down my life and I will pick it back up again because I have this authority. I have this command from my father. The father had given Jesus Christ the authority over his own life to willingly lay down his own life and to willingly take it up again and to breathe again and to live again. Um, all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Okay, um, a couple of things I want to point out here just in closing. One is, do you hear that beautiful language? I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. Listen, here's something else you could just contemplate on for a long time. The Lord knows you. In fact, he, I would, you know, since he's omniscient, I would, I would not hesitate to say he probably knows you better than you, right? Um, another one of God's prophets said, uh, uh, the heart is uh, is deceitful, yeah, yeah deceitfully wicked, uh, beyond understand. Who can understand it? I, I just butchered that too. Uh, anyway, our hearts are deceitful. We can't even see our own sin, but our Father knows us at a level we'll never even know ourselves. Uh, he knows us profoundly, and He knows us deeply, deeply, and He knows the situation that you're in. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the idolatry in your heart and my heart. And in fact, in some of the Psalms, David says, uh, incredible to know, Lord, that everywhere I go, you're with me. Um, incredible to know that every thought I have, you, you know it. Every word I speak, you know, it's before, you know before it's formed on my tongue, you know all of this. And what are we to say? It's so comforting. Well, maybe in some ways it's comforting. Maybe in some ways it's, it's horrifying, isn't it? Uh, to know that God knows us that well. But he knows us that well and he cares for you enough to shepherd you and to bring you back and to go retrieve you when you were lost and to bring you back into the fold whenever you'd wondered. That is the amazing thing about God. He knows you, and in this way, he accepted you as you were and brought you into the fold by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's pretty profound, isn't it? That's, that's incredible to think about. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where I want to leave you, except for maybe one, one last thing. This thought that the Lord God knows us is, is, is a little bit terrifying because, you know, if he knows us and we're going to stand before him one day, what are we going to do? I mean, you know, let's just say that I had, uh, I had tapped into your, uh, into your brain this week and had uh, sent to Jason an email, and we were going to just start listing your sin there on the, on the screen. And we just start going through the things, all the things, the secret thoughts you've had that you've not shared with anyone else, the mistakes that you've made that you're glad no one here knows. And what if we just splash that up here on the screen here, here behind me? It makes you want to run and hide in shame, doesn't it? It brings up guilt that you and I know has been, has been um, covered and atoned for. Amen. Um, but let me, let, me, let, me, let me challenge you this way, though. Um, the reason, though, that I can deal with those things and you as a believer can deal with those things is because I have a shepherd and you have a shepherd and he has gone before you 
And he's covered all of those pitfalls. And he takes us around all of that mess that we've made in our lives, all those selfish thoughts, all those times that we had opportunity to do something for someone, but we decided to do our own thing anyway. All those times, men, that we've lusted, all those times, ladies, that you've clinged for security in other places besides God. Every, every moment, every time, every time we've had idolatry in our lives. But here's the deal is that we can face those sins because he's gone first. He's led us out. And every time I discover some deceitful part of my heart, every time I discover this part in me that I know doesn't bring glory to God, he goes first and he covers it with his blood and his atonement. And he says, I've already paid the price for this. I've gone ahead of you. I, I, in that deep part of your heart, in that deep part of your soul, in those places that you hate to go back to some of those memories about some of the things that you've done are wrong, the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ steps in in front of you and he leads you, he can lead you out into those places and he can say, I've already covered over this. And so you and I, listen, we can face our failures and we can face our sins and we can face the loss of our past and we can face them because we know that he's gone before and he's already covered it because he is our shepherd. Amen. Christians ought to be the most courageously self-examining people in the world, right? There should just be nothing that we're afraid of. And even in an ability to talk to, I don't mean that we need to, you know, like put a sign out in the yard and say, yeah, I've had some, some real problems with lust. You know, I'm not saying that, but, but to be able to really even talk about it, to, to really be able to, 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 to face it, to really even be able to look in those dark places of your heart and those memories that you have about regret and to be able to look there, but it's all been covered because your shepherd has gone before you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together and you just keep your seats here. Let me, pray for, let me just pray over you guys just for a little bit, just that the Lord would bring his, uh, his balm and, and just a reminder of his, his salvation and, and his shepherding for you, uh, for all of us. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for these teachings today about, about you, about, Lord God, how you are our, our great Savior, about how you are our great shepherd. And, and you sent one, though, who would look like us, one, who would, one, one that would be made of, of flesh and, and have all the weaknesses of the flesh like we do. And and, uh, and you would call him and he would declare himself as our great shepherd, our good shepherd, our chief shepherd. And Lord God, we, we just thank you for that. Father, we thank you too that you lead us. And, and particularly, Lord God, we thank you that, that whenever we go, whenever we, whenever we think back, whenever we have, um, um, whenever those memories come back about the things that we've done that we're not proud of, the thoughts that we've had, memories that we have about, about things that we've done that we've been embarrassed if anybody knew. Lord God, you go before us and you cover them and you remind us over and over again, I've paid for this. I, I, I've, I've atoned for this already. I've gone ahead of you here and, and I've prepared the way and I've made it safe for you and, and, and I've covered this with my blood and there is now no condemnation for you here because my blood has covered all of this. Lord, I pray that you would give us a courageous uh, ability to be, to be self-aware. I pray that you'd make us a people who aren't afraid to take a look in your word and, and to see ourselves in the mirror of your word and, and to be reminded about our sin because, Lord God, even though, Lord, it may be embarrassing, even though we hate to see it there, we know that it's been atoned for forever. We know that it's been covered forever. We know that it's been removed from your record on us, Lord, forever. Lord, we're just a grateful people. Thank you, Lord God, for being our shepherd.
Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your supply for us. Thank you, Lord God, for your leadership of us. Thank you for controlling us and controlling our lives, Lord God, that they don't go so crazy out of control that we, that we completely lose it, that things don't go completely chaotic. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you do to be our shepherd. And Lord God, just remind us throughout this week about how you care for us and you tend us like your own flock. We thank you. We praise you this morning. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for being here today. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week.